and Justin McRoberts here to speak to us this morning. Great musician. Thank, oh, thank you, you for your heart. It's kind. And Thanks. But how many people do you know that are pretty excellent? They're excellent at musicianship, that artistic expression, and can write. You'll see if you read his books, that can happen. God's also gifted him as a communicator, and he is one of our dear friends, Marin Covenant, and many of us here, and uh, he's here to bless us with this message today on the theme of compassion. Good morning. My name is Jason, apparently. Um, you can call me Justin. Did I do it again? Well, no, earlier. It was good, though. But you, you, was, you came back. We've been at We've been kind of, yeah, we've been kind of at it back and forth a little bit. So I, I honestly, I mean, I, I tease him, but I, I really, I really love, really love Pastor Tony. So he's uh, <laughs> a good friend. We'll go way back. Bill and I. I will instead uh, stop teasing him and have compassion on him. Yeah. Uh, I love that you guys ran out. I mean, it's good and bad, right? That you guys ran out of, uh, of boxes. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to remedy that in some way, shape, or form. That act, uh, just as a kind of a, it's sort of a side note, but it's really parallel to the, what I'm doing this morning. The act of uh, the Operation Christmas Child thing, or for those of you who like sponsor kids with Compassion International or whatever, like those things are acts of compassion. That's actually what we'll get to. I'm gonna just kind of tell you now where I'm going is like, that's what compassion looks like. To feel bad for someone, that's one thing, but you're actually taking your time, your energy, your resources, and inserting yourself into now someone else's story. You actually suffer a little bit in order to enter in. And that's really kind of like where the rubber meets the road where it comes to compassion, insofar as I would say that if there isn't some kind of sacrifice, if there isn't some sort of shared burden, then not, we're not really talking about compassion. It's neat to have thoughts like, you know, I hope you do well, but to actually step in and say, hey, the kids across the other side of the world, they literally don't have access to anything that they would need in order to celebrate like a legit Christmas. And you and I stepping in and saying, I'll give away money that I would have otherwise spent on myself, spend time that I would have otherwise spent on myself, and like step in here. That's, that is what compassion looks like. So when I get into this this morning, I want to talk about what a Christian understanding of compassion is. And I'll get to why that is, like why I use the word Christian instead of just saying, hey, let's just talk about compassion, because words can get a little slippery in culture. Can I get an amen? So something you learn about me really early on is I, I, I'm a Caucasian male, but I try not to preach like one. So I will, I will ask, I, I will say things like, can I get an amen? And here's the deal, like I can see you. So I will know if I don't get it back. Uh, we do not, as a people, practice compassion well and regularly. Can I get an amen? amen. It is a thing, uh, it, is a, it is a reality, it is a, it is a practice, and that's a word I'm going to come back to. It's not an idea. It is a practice that actually holds together far more of the world than we actually recognize. And I would go so far as to say that part of why relationships part of why communities, part of why marriages, part of why friendships, part of why churches fall apart is because we don't practice compassion well because maybe we don't know exactly what it is and we think it's an idea and we think it's a sentiment and as soon as something moves past sentiment into life practice and it costs me to do it, I'm a little less apt to step into it. So I want to talk this morning about what a Christian understanding 
of compassion is. And by that, here's what I don't mean. I don't mean when I say the word Christian, things Christians do. Mm -mm. Because if by the word Christian, I mean the behaviors and the practices of Christian people, I don't want anything to do with that. Here's what I want. I want to be a, a Christian in the sense that these are the behaviors, the postures, the practices of Jesus Christ. I don't want to be a Christian if it means doing what the tribe does. I want to be a Christian if it means following Jesus Christ. So when we talk about compassion this morning, I don't want to just look around the world and see, hey, what great works are Christians doing? Ah, there are some really great works Christians are doing. This is one of them. I want to look at the life of Christ, and then I want to read who we are through him rather than the other way around. Here's one of the dangers of that. And one, one of my favorite uh, things to do when I sermon prep is to Google image search. So if I go to the Google and I plug in the word compassion and I say, dear Google, what do you see when I see compassion? These are like in the top 10 or 20 images that come back. And I'm like, I have no idea what the bouncy balls have to do with anything. <laughs> the, the, the Google just said, here. Like, here's an image of some bouncy balls. You want a compassion? Smiley bouncy balls. And we want to give machines consciousness? I don't think so. Apparently it has something to do with, like, the, the, the top left image. That's not compassion. That's dangerous. <laughs> I don't know what's happening here. It's like somebody's like, that's adorable. It's not. It's not adorable. That is a bear. Get your daughter away from the bear, bro. But again, it's kind of a cute, cuddly thing, and you got the cute, cuddly thing down here with the, the cute dog, and the dog doesn't know compassion. <laughs> the dog knows food. That, like, this is, like, I get that we can have emotional connections with pets, but let's be honest, like, if you stop feeding that animal, he's done with you. So maybe the closest it comes to is the dude up here fixing the Xerox machine. Like, this is a compassionate individual. <laughs> like, I don't think this is necessarily, I, I, I kind of get somewhere these things come from because there, there are emotional experiences that are associated with certain practices of life. Can I get an amen? But there's a difference between my experience of a thing and the thing itself. There's a difference between my experience of Jesus and Jesus. Jesus is not defined by, by, by my experience of him. Can we get that on the table? Jesus Christ is not defined by my experience of him. Compassion, then, is not defined by or measured by my experience of compassion. So I think compassion looks a little bit more like this. I think that's compassion. We got some O's and we got some ugh. Because some guys in the house like me just don't like cats. This is, I think, a little bit more compassion ends up really looking like it's like this poor bro. <laughs> like it involves multiple people. It's a thing you're like, you're so deep into the thing. You're like you need someone to help you pull this thing off. Like this poor guy is in whatever kind of water that is rescuing some cat. And let's be honest, let's be 100% honest. 90% positive, that's not his cat. That's probably her cat. And she said, can you go get it? So he went and got it. And his bro needed to come along and help him pull this off. I think this is what compassion kind of looks like. It's a little bit dirty and gross, and it might involve a cat. And you probably have to get some other people involved in it because you actually don't have the capacity to pull it off on your own. I think this is a little bit more what compassion looks like. So let's actually take a gander at what compassion looks like when Jesus talked about compassion. 
Matthew chapter 9, Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. But, I'm sorry, here's the thing. I want to pause here for a second. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Now, if, if, I'm, if I'm a bad teacher and I'm learning not be one, I just stop there and then I kind of extrapolate what I think he means by that. But this is why I read the scriptures in context. Because the scriptures kind of tell you what the scriptures are saying. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. We're familiar with that line, but then this. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And I'll be honest, for the longest time, like the second half of this felt really disconnected from the first half from me. Like, what do you, how do we get into this thing about workers? You, we were having compassion on poor and harassed people. I mean, hear how separated that is in my mind. Like, we're talking about like, workers, the harvest. We're talking about these poor, harassed people. We're talking about compassion. There are a couple of things going on here. The compassion of Jesus has context and relationship and moves toward action. So it's not just an idea that kind of springs up as an idea. It has context in a relationship. And it doesn't just end with the sentiment, the feeling, or the experience. It actually moves me towards action. I would go so far as to say that if compassion is just an idea I have in my mind, and it's not associated with an actual person, and if I'm not actually acting on that thing, then I'm not really talking about compassion. I'm talking about sentiment. And there's nothing wrong with sentiment. It's just not compassion. Context and relationship, top of the verse. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Pay attention to this moment here. Jesus is, is pursuing connections and encounters with others. His compassion begins with intentionally engaging in relationship and community. Jesus was intentional about his relationships. There's nothing arbitrary about how he went about things. He did not have circumstantial friendships. He sought out the people in his life. Can I get an Amen. One of the principal differences between the way I pursue my life and the way Jesus pursues his life and what I want him to change me in is I have plenty of circumstantial relationships and I want to intentionalize that. And what, but the big difference here is I'm actually paying attention to the people around me as they are, who they are, where they are, what they need, as opposed to the transactional nature, which is a very like American nature or posture relationship, in which I'm pretty much in the, I'm kind of going about my own business, I'm doing my own thing, and if I'm thinking about other people, I'm mostly thinking more transactionally about what it is that I can get out of this situation. Jesus is intentionally paying, paying attention to the folks around him. He's looking, he's listening, he's engaging, he's hearing people's stories. That's the context for compassion. It's other-centered. It's about relationship. And then it moves toward action. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. See, Jesus responds to the harassed and helpless by wanting to send people to stop them being harassed and to help. There's an active, immediate response. Jesus responds with the action of prayer and a call for discipleship and leadership. That it's not compassionate if it, just stop, if it stops with me going, gosh, that really sucks for you. Like that's a nice, that's a compassionate thought, but it's not actually compassion. 
Like it has the characteristics or some of the characteristics of compassion. If I say, man, that's, you're having a rough time, I feel that. But it's compassion if it actually moves me towards action and I'm willing to, in some way, shape, or form, bear the burden of the person I am grieving for. I can grieve for someone from a distance, and that's grief, and grief is good. But it's not compassion if I'm not sharing that burden in some way, shape, or form. That can take the form of prayer, but it can also take the form like we have here of like direct action. So, so it has context, uh, compassion has context and relationship, and it moves toward action. Let's watch Jesus actually do this in John chapter 8. You're probably familiar with the story. At dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. It didn't bring the man. Let's talk about it another time. Uh, they made her stand before the group and said to, said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? I love it when people think they're gonna trap the Lord. It's so good. He's like, please bring me that. Set it right here and I'm gonna hit it out of the park now. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. The Lord is so good. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any of you who is without sin, so good, be the first to throw a stone at her. And they were like, <laughs> Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground at this. Those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. There's so much here that we could spend weeks. I'm gonna spend a few minutes posture. The whole time this woman is standing, says the beginning, they made her stand in front of the group. Where's Jesus? He got down. In other words, Jesus got down and she was standing with them, which is to say there is no difference between y'all and her. Like she's standing with you, I'm going to get lower than that. And not only does he do that, he gets down and everyone, when people talk about this verse, theologians, all the teachers like me, we love to kind of dig, what do you think he was writing in the sand? What do you think's going on there? We're like, oh, I don't know, maybe he's kind of drawing this thing and, you know, maybe, you know, maybe, he's, kind of, maybe he's writing the law. And I'm like, I don't know, maybe he's drawing Snoopy. Like, you have no idea. But I love the fact that we do that because I'm guaranteeing you that's what like the theologically, mathematically minded religious types were doing then. They're wondering what it is that he's drawing, which is to say they took all their attention off her and they put it on him. They got distracted by Jesus. He wanted to make that moment about him. And so he did. And by the way, as kind of a side note, more of a kind of parallel thing, here's the thing about your sin in your life. Your sin in your life is not about you. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus coming along and saying, I'll take that. 
and I'll take that too. We do a really good job of making sure that we define ourselves and hold on to our sin as if it somehow identifies us to God, and it doesn't. You're not defined in your relationship to the Lord by your sin. You're defined in your relationship to God by Jesus Christ who died for your sin because every time he kneels down on the ground and says, I'll get lower than you are, and I'll pick you up. Every time. He wants to make this moment about, he takes the shame of this moment and he, upon himself where they're barking at her and they're talking about her and the next thing you know, they're all looking at him. And after they've questioned him for a while, he then stands up and says, if all y'all are sinless, then great. Otherwise, why don't you go away? And then he doesn't keep standing there. He kneels back down to once again take the attention off her. Now, they were going to stone her to death. They were going to throw rocks at her until she died. Jesus stepped into that place, took the focus and anger and rage off of her and directed it towards himself at risk of his own life and well-being. That is compassion. I won't let this moment define you, and I won't let the consequences of your foolish, stupid actions ruin your life. That's compassion. The compassion of Jesus is personal and is expressed personally. Hear me say it one more time. Compassion is not a concept. It is a personal practice. And if it's not practiced and it's not personal, then it's just an idea and it's not compassion. It breaks the cold mathematic cycle of action becomes consequence. Reality is you and I, each one of us are in the chairs today and if we have any form of health and well-being it's because someone, if not a series of many someones, has had compassion on us over the course of our lives. Can I get a witness? You are not here because you earned your right to be here. You're here because of compassion. You're here because someone bore your sin for you. You're here because, and you have the relationships you have, because someone didn't let your foolishness define that relationship. They had compassion on you. They bore the weight. If you are a married person, you live in a contract of compassion. You have to bear the burdens of the person next to you. Have to. And if I'm not willing to do that, I'm going to have a real hard time as a married person. Can I get an Amen. If I want to make your sin about you as a married man, I'm in all kinds of trouble. If my wife wants to make my sin just about me, then we're in all kinds of trouble. No, we enter into this relationship together in which you say, if you blow it, I'll carry that with you. If I blow it, you, like, well, if I blow it, you'll tell me about it for a while. And then, <laughs> but we will carry this thing together. I want you to look around the room and recognize this is the relationship we choose to enter into when we call ourselves Christians. When you blow it, neighbor, I will carry that with you. And I won't hope that the consequences of your actions teach you a lesson. That's not the lesson I want you to learn. I don't want you to learn that your sin ruins your life. I want you to learn that Jesus Christ is better than the sin in your life. I don't want you to learn that you can blow it so bad enough that you can grieve so deep enough that you can feel so bad enough that you'll never do it again. No, no, no. I want you to be motivated by the fact that Jesus Christ came to earth to die for your sins because he loves you. And I want you to be motivated to positive good action because you are a child of the living God. You're not running from your sin. You're running towards Jesus. Compassion changes our nature of, the nature of our relationship towards sinners like us. I will bear that with you. 
The compassion of Jesus does not excuse sin, but it does share the burden of its consequences. Here's a story about that. And there's a, a bunch of context of the story. I don't know that I'm going to have a ton of time for. Uh, I have enough. Okay. So a number of years ago, when I started playing music for a living, I brought a buddy of mine in to help me out. Uh, we'll call him Sal. Uh, and Sal came in because I was traveling quite a bit and I was on the road. My wife was traveling with me and we had this online store. And so we couldn't fill orders when someone ordered something while we were gone. So Sal said, hey, man, I'll help you out. Great. Seriously? He goes, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll run your store while you're out of town. Sounds great. Well, in order for Sal to run the store, he had to not only have a key to the house and garage door codes, he actually had to have access to like bank accounts and credit cards. Thank you. You know where I'm going. Over the course of like two and a half years, my wife and I, we're not math people. We'd like, I was an English major, philosophy minor, uh, what my father at the time called the, the road to homelessness. And uh, <laughs> my, my wife was, it was an art major with a religion minor. <laughs> like, so we're like, so we look at numbers like, oh, just six, it's five, six, 11, done. That's one more than 10. Because all my math stops at 10, all of it. How much are your books? And um, so we're not really paying attention except we see all these charges come up on the credit card. We don't know what it is. We don't pay attention. They come back up the credit. We don't pay attention. Over the course of about two, not quite two years, like $2,700 of charges on the credit card that were not ours. So I have to call Sal. I'm like, hey, bro, what's up? I left a message. Emailed him. Texted him. And I didn't see this brother of mine for seven years. Disappeared, poof. And I got angry because I wanted the consequences of his sin to catch up with him. And I felt like my anger would accomplish that. Does that sound familiar to anybody? <laughs> and I chased him around for seven years. I couldn't get a hold of him. And then I found him at his dad's house and because I, I had heard, heard me tell the story, I had heard that his father had just been released from prison. And so he was living with his dad to help him get back on his feet. So I show up at his dad's house at 1.45 in the morning because I'm a sneaky jerk. And I knock on the door and his dad comes to the door and I said, I need to see Sal right now. Sal comes to the door and, and this is what he said. He goes, man, I'm so sorry. And I had this plan, right? I had this plan, I had it in my mind about how I was gonna say it and how I'd be standing and like if he moved, where I would punch him. <laughs> but there standing in front of me was this guy. Not just a guy who's, a brother, human, sinful, like me. And he said, man, I'm so sorry. And then my heart started to melt. It's like, crap, don't do that. <laughs> he said, I want to pay you back. And I said, I know you do, which I didn't plan on saying. <laughs> and then he said, but more, seriously, more than that, I want our relationship back. Because oh. I did too. So over the course of the next year, he paid me off in cash, and the requirement was that he showed up at my house to do it so that we could sit down and talk. It took a long, 20, so $2,700 is a lot for me to carry for nine years. But that's what it took to restore the relationship. That's an okay story. Here's how it kind of ends. Neighbor moves into our neighborhood, 
Ecuadorian family. Uh, dad doesn't speak English really very well at all. Struggling hard to get a job. Can't find a job. Decides to become day laborer guy. So he's just literally hanging out on a sidewalk like every morning between four and seven hoping to get picked up for a job. This is my neighbor. He gets a car. Like he's able to buy a car. Costs him, you know, 400 bucks to buy a car. Not a very good car for $400. Gets this car. And because he's not super familiar with stuff, he doesn't read real well in English, he parked his car in the wrong place week two of this job that he got. He goes out in the morning and his car is gone because it was towed. He shows up at my door. Me, my door. 7.30 in the morning. He says, I need help. I said, uh, okay. He said, they towed my car. I was like, well, you got to call. I mean, here's the number. He said, no, I have that, but they told me it would cost $750 to get the car out of impound. I bought a car for 400 bucks, and it cost you almost twice that to get it out. That's how we do to people. So he hands me this binder with these baseball cards in it. He goes, how much do you think I could get for these? <sighs> Bro, and I wanted to say it out loud, but I couldn't. I'm like, um... Let me find out. Well, I don't know a whole lot about baseball cards. I love baseball. I'm an A's fan, so it means I don't know a lot about baseball. <laughs> if I knew more about baseball, I probably wouldn't be an A's fan. It's all pain. I said, but you know what? My boy Sal, Sal knows a lot about baseball, baseball cards. He was a collector. So I call Sal, that guy I had chased down for nine years. I said, hey, man, this is what's going on. And he's like, uh, yeah, I don't... Like, this, Probably like 30 bucks of cards worth in that thing, man. It's maybe $30. The binder is worth more money than the cards in there. He's like, what's this for? I said, well, this is going to my neighbor. A car got towed. He went, huh, what's he trying to do? I said, he's trying to get 750 bucks. He's like, man, there's not, you're not going to get close to that. And then he says this, hold on a minute. All right, you know what? I got it. What do you mean you got it? He goes, I'll buy the, I'll buy the cards. I'm like, no, but we need more than 30. He goes, no, 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 I'll buy the cards for $800. And then he said, you talking about your neighbor Z? I said, yeah. He goes, they just had a boy, right? He goes, yeah. Bro, hand him that stupid binder back with those stupid cards. Because that boy is going to want those cards when he grows up. I was like, Sal, bro, that's huge. He said, man, we all need, a, we all need another chance, right? That's compassion. I'll buy those cards from you that aren't even close to worth what you need. I will take that on because you need a shot. That's compassion. That's transformative. That renews relationships. That's what it looks like in practice. It looks like homeboy coming to me and saying, I dropped my cat. <laughs> I'm even like, I hate cats. I will reach down here, but I don't think I can pull it off on my own, and so I gotta call my bro, Sal, and he helps me do this thing. This is what it looks like in practice. This is what we're inviting you into this morning. So I'm gonna invite your shepherd up here to connect some dots and maybe kind of institute a few suggestions about what this looks like for us as a family uh, here in Marin. Art? Thanks, Jason. <laughs> yes, I could have resisted. 
So what are you thinking? What kind of things were stirred in you? Do you have the ability to reach for the cat? You're thinking, wait, that sounds more like forgiveness or that sounds more like mercy or... What is compassion? It's more than a concept. It's more than a feeling. It's more than looking and saying, oh, that's what Christians do. What was your takeaway today? Because your takeaway is something that results from what the Holy Spirit wants to do in you. He's saying, well, this piece is sort of for you. And it's a plug-in. And if, here's, here's how I want to encourage you to not think about this. If you're feeling guilty, oh my goodness, I need to, shame on me for not, let that go. Because this is a positive, forward-thinking, normative part of living like Jesus. Compassion. Carrying the load with somebody. It's not dismissal. It's not blindness. It's compassion. Come on, we'll go from here to there. Because everybody needs a new start. I think of it, like to think of it like this, and let me encourage you to do so, to think of it like this, and then beyond this, better thoughts even uh, than this. Lord, I have a network of power, uh, of wealth, of opportunity, of influence, a network of things like that. How can I use whatever it is that I have that can pull people out of the muck they've either either been thrown into or jumped into themselves? What's the godly Jesus-like use or investment of the influence, the financial wealth, the intellectual wealth, the power, whatever it might be that I have. And here it is, Lord, direct me so that I can know the joy of being a compassionate person, which is also the prayer. Beyond acts of compassion to Lord Turn me into a naturally compassionate person. You see that in Jesus too. The question is, what will you do with this message today? It was a rich one, wasn't it? Yeah. What will you do with it? Because there is a world, your world, out there waiting to be transformed by your compassion. Would you stand now and receive this benediction? And now today, may the Lord give you new lenses through which you see everything. May compassion roll down like a mighty river because the church is here 
And when the church is here, Jesus is here. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.